0: This is a podcast about Jeopardy! Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy! podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy! episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle.
1: And I'm Emily. And this is the week of January 8th through 12th, 2024. We're still in the 2023-2024 second chance competition before we get into these jeopardy games we're getting into a new year how's your new year going so far kyle fine everything (laughs) takes longer than i want it to i hear that
0: but no bad news Just kind of waiting for things to move forward on the job front. We have some friends of ours who are opera singers in Germany are visiting right now. So we're getting to see them. And that's very, very nice. Very, very nice. Yeah. How about you? How's your new year rolling out?
1: New year's rolling out. pretty nicely. Still feeling like I'm kind of in the aftermath of our big family Disney trip, you know, collecting everybody's photos and sending prints to the people who don't know how to log into a Google photo album and look at the photos. Mm-hmm. I've, I've assigned myself a fun little project of like making a photo book. And I'm right now like writing a survey to try and collect people's like little like memories and quotes that I can throw in there as like little blurbs. So, you know, trying to trying to stretch it out. <laughs> you know, kind of make the magic last. And having big kids, not to gloat, because I know (laughs) you're still in the little kid phase, having big kids is great. My fifth grader had a kid come over for a play date earlier this week and he'd just been to see the lion king and he had like you know thoughtful commentary about you know what he liked about it and how it compared to other broadway musicals he'd seen and like my my daughter went to a friend's house for a play date and she doesn't always cooperate when it's time to leave from play dates my, my childhood best friend in a, in a wedding toast at my wedding offered my husband and and the guests a piece of advice that we used to give each other when we were kids which is if you don't want to leave just hide your shoes like my daughter is very much along those lines so she had gotten a like a very serious conversation before this play date that you know if she wanted to continue having play dates with this friend's friend she needed to to be exquisite when it was time to leave so i go to pick mm-hmm. her up from this play date and the mom shouts up the stairs girls Emily is here. It's time to come downstairs. And my daughter shouts down. Okay. And then her friend shouts from the third floor. Aren't we going to hide? And my daughter (laughs) shouts up to the third floor. I can't. My daddy said I have to be exquisite. It was so fun. And like, we played my while she was at her playdate, my fifth grader and my husband and I played the game Seven Wonders. Do you know that one? I think that's what it's called.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've um, seen it. Yeah.
1: Which is fun. And like he's just he's a good little board game player. I try as hard as I can and he beats me anyway. Sometimes I beat him. I beat him this time, but my husband was the was the winner. I came in second. So yeah, having big kids, it's great. There it's great. I love having big kids. So you know,
0: I'm,
1: it's in your it's in your I'm future, So happy I'm happy really for enjoying you it right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm looking forward to those days, you know, looking forward to that.
1: It'll come. Anyway, so that's us. And this is Jeopardy! Monday, January 8th, 2024. We are finishing out week three of the Second Chance competition. It is the second day of a two-day total point affair. We're in a cycle where we have a series of five-game semi-finals and finals so I guess we're going to be doing Monday final games for a little bit it, it feels so weird to me Yep. like when you turn the page of a book and the last and it's like the last page of the last chapter and there's just like a two line like second half of the last sentence
0: mm-hmm. on the
1: last page of the chapter like it's there's something there's something unsatisfying I feel about this anyway maybe that doesn't <laughs> bother other people
0: <laughs> no I think it bothers everyone
1: Okay, cool.
0: <laughs> Absolutely um, universal, yeah.
1: Yes, my experiences are everyone's experiences. Anyway, Monday, January 8th, it is the second day of a two-day total point affair. So our contestants, once again, are Randall Rayford, a solar project developer from Houston, Texas. His subtotal is zero. He dropped to zero in final. Michael Cavalieri, a consultant from New York, New York, with a subtotal of 6,600. And Matt Harvey, a healthcare administrator from Providence, Rhode Island, whose subtotal is 10,000. And the Jeopardy round categories are presidential dogs, music, recent movies, sounds like a letter, colors, and get to the point.
0: Michael knows his dogs. He sure apparently. does. He did, he did pretty well.
1: He did get a reversal at the $800 level. I wanted to look back at that question, which I didn't get to do before this podcast, but I'm doing it now. Reagan's Spaniel Rex was indeed kingly. His breed contains this name of multiple English monarchs. Mm -hmm. And Michael said, what's King Charles Cavalier Spaniel? And that was accepted as correct. And then there was a reversal because he said King Charles Cavalier Spaniel instead of Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. But they were asking for the name of the monarch.
0: Right. Not the dog breed. Yeah. So I think like technically naming the dog would be incorrect because you're naming, but you're not giving the, the monarch name. But I mean, Jeopardy does. And especially more recently, I, I feel like lately they've they've been more lenient with what like what they'll accept in a correct response as long as you're as long as you're getting the correct response in there. You know what I mean yeah. like if you give more words around it they mm-hmm. tend to play like that's okay. So I think I think they would have accepted it if you gave the full dog breed name if you got it right. Okay. The so they, they would have taken
1: wrong, King Charles or, or Cavalier Cavalier King Charles Spaniel but because I, he gave the dog breed name but with the words in the wrong order.
0: Yeah. I I mm-hmm. think I think that's where it came from. Of course he could have just said King Charles cuz that's what it was asking for. Right. And that would have been.
1: Yeah. And like there's that learned league rule which I've sometimes used to my advantage which is like if you give the if you have further words after the correct answer, it doesn't matter. Like right. if you start with the correct answer, it's correct. <laughs> it's correct. Which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think maybe that throws my thinking off where I'm like, well the correct answer was King Charles, so like you know, King Charles. Like anything you say after that should be irrelevant. But that's that's learnedly not jeopardy.
0: Right, right. Yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Had a flashback at the six hundred dollar level of music in nineteen fifty three. He became the first American to de- conduct at La Scala in Milan. Four years later, he uptell a West Side Story. Michael got it. That's Bernstein. Mm-hmm. And that was a that was very similar to a clue that I could not remember La Scala in the Bernstein category in my game. Yeah. Name. Just it, it has stuck with me forever, but I knew it mm-hmm. this time.
1: Mm-hmm. I was amused by the $800 level, the Michael's miss on the $800 level in that same category. We could drone on and on about this Aussie Aboriginal wind instrument that it's a five-foot-long pipe made of eucalyptus wood. Sounds cool. And he thought of Fufuzela, which, mm-hmm. wrong part of the word, but also a fun name. And then Randall got the rebound with didgeridoo. They may be the two- most enjoyable instrument names. I don't know. Maybe there's a different one that you know of. But bouzouki. I mean, hurdy
0: gurdy's and- pretty good.
1: Hurdy gurdy is good. Okay. All right.
0: But yeah, didgeridoo is awesome. As, yeah. as a name, yep. as an instrument, it's fine. <laughs> yes. It, Daily double number one is in presidential dogs at the thousand dollar level. It is pick number eight, and Michael finds it. He's at negative 600 here. Matt is at 2,600. Randall's at 800. And he wagers 1,000. Gets the clue. Porty for short, it's the three-word breed of the Obama's beloved Sonny. Uh, and he gets correct with what is a Portuguese water dog. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Matt is at 4,200. Michael's up to 4,000. And Randall's at 3,400. The double Jeopardy categories are the Annals of History, Celebrity Sibling Surnames, Science, from C to D, Italian literature, and it's corn—a big lump with knobs. <laughs> it has the juice?
1: <laughs> Can't imagine a more beautiful thing. Are you? Are you familiar?
0: I am. Uh, I am unfamiliar. So apparently, it's a thing. I'm. It's a now. thing.
1: Okay. All right. So, so brief history of it. It's corn. There was some. I think. I think it was like you know, uh, like a human interest, like reporter interviewing people at a state fair or something and he Mm -hmm. you know so there's this interview of this little kid who's got a ear you know a corn on the cob about which he was very enthusiastic and so that clip went viral and then the like i think the auto-tune the news people the same ones who auto-tune double rainbow turned it into a viral song which was then repurposed as a soundtrack by lots of people sharing the things they were enthusiastic about on TikTok. Got so it. yes, it has the juice. It has um, the
0: juice. Yeah, weird. <laughs>
1: it's, go find the video; you'll enjoy it. I'm gonna have it's corn uh, stuck in my head,
0: stuck in here your- all week. Sure. There was a triple stumper at the $1,600 level. The murals at the Mitchell Corn Palace in this state are designed by students at a nearby university. It was a triple stumper. Two misses too. Matt guessed where's Iowa. Randall guessed what's Nebraska. Those are both incorrect. They're both corn states, so it's not a bad guess, but the Corn Palace is in South Dakota. And if you find yourself traveling through South Dakota and have the chance to visit the Corn Palace, you should do that. Okay. It is unique.
1: Is it a reason to go to South Dakota if you don't happen to be traveling through, or is it more of a
0: roadside? It I depends tried, on how the way. Depends on how strong you feel about corn, Emily. It does have the juice, Kyle. If, it does apparently have the juice. <laughs> so if you're feeling that passionate about corn, then you can make your way to South Dakota and find the Corn Palace. <laughs> All right. maybe if you, happen, if you happen to be going through there, say, from one end of the country to the other, and you're like, we'll stop in the Black Hills and go to Mount Rushmore. And Mm -hmm. do the South Dakota things, maybe Deadwood. You know, you can do those things and make sure you stop off at the Corn Palace. Okay. This is my sponsored moment for South Dakota tourism. (laughs) Great. I'm saying Um, preemptively so that they give me money later. Mm
1: -hmm. Daily Double number two comes out super early. Pick number two, Matt finds it. He's at 5400 with Michael at 4000 and Randall at 3400. He makes it a true daily double and he gets the clue. It describes the human heart with four as well as a certain type of nautilus and he gets it correct. It is chambered.
0: Yes. And daily double number 3 is in The Annals of History at the $800 level, pick number 18. Uh, Michael finds this one. He's up to 13200, Matt's at 15600 and Randall is at -600. And Michael bets it all. He's going for that win. Gets the clue. Around 1,000 years ago, this island's parliament, the All Thing, said everyone is getting baptized. And he gets it correct with what is Iceland. Mm
1: -hmm. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round... Michael is in the lead with 29,200. Matt's at 18,800, and Randall is at 3,000. And the final Jeopardy category is state capitals, where we find the clue the two closest state capitals at about 40 miles apart. One was founded by someone no longer allowed in the other. And this one was intuitive to me, but not to all of the contestants. Randall tried what are Dover and Annapolis? Those are close, but not the closest. He wagered 3,000, so he drops to zero. And his cumulative score for the tournament will be zero. We come to Matt next. He figured it out. What are Boston and Providence? So thinking about Roger Williams being kicked out of Massachusetts and founding Rhode Island, he has wagered 18,800, which puts him at 47,600 for the tournament. Adding back in his his ten thousand from the previous day, and Michael missed it as well. He
0: tried water Carson City and Salt Lake City. Those are, I mean, writing something's better than nothing. Those are pretty far away from each other.
1: Yeah, yeah. So he's wagered twelve thousand, which drops him down to seventeen thousand two hundred for the game. Add back in his subtotal, and he's at twenty three thousand eight hundred. And so Matt is the champion for this tournament and will advance to the champions wild card.
0: Yes. So we get to Tuesday when we get week four, the last week of the second chance competitions for this season. And that is all I'm going to say about that. We get the contestants, Pam Warren, a high school science teacher from Petersburg, Illinois, April Marquette, a digital production artist from Oakland, California, and Rotimi Kukoyi. A health policy and management student at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill from Hoover, Alabama. We have the Jeopardy round categories: F in geography, sports takes, college prep, three of the same letter, a recipe for dot dot dot, and disaster.
1: Some of the Ken was always careful to really separate the the words in F in geography, mm-hmm. and then some of the contestants elided those a little bit more, which it seems F like geography. F and geography. It seems like the writers knew what they were doing there. Oh
0: I'm sure. Yeah. I mean you're in a room talking about it. I'm sure somebody at some point is like, you know what that sounds like. They're a triple stumper at the four hundred dollar level of geography. Espo and Laparanta are cities in this nation. You gotta think of a an F country. And also if you know that Lap and Lapland are in Finland, then that would have giving you the clue from Lappenranta for Finland. Tough time in the sports takes category though.
1: (laughs) Yeah, which was especially like humorous because apparently April had missed a sports question in her game that she didn't win, where she didn't realize there was a picture on the monitor of the person in question. Uh, She was looking at, you know, like the big jeopardy board, the clue pops up with the text of the clue. And then there's a separate monitor off to the left.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And home viewers may not realize that because you just have your one screen at home. And so the picture pops up and you hear the host's voiceover reading the text of the clue, which makes it sort of incomprehensible when, right. when a contestant you know makes a, makes a wrong guess where it's like, didn't they even look at the picture? She did not even notice that the picture was there. Yeah. Um, and missed a, missed a sports clue in her in her previous game and wanted to defend her honor during the interview segment and say that she did know the difference between, I think it was Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, maybe? Yeah. Yes. She then went on to be like, they have differently shaped heads, which... They very much do. <laughs> the,
0: Pe- I Peyton feel like she Ma- could
1: have just left it at I know the difference rather than like starting to like describe like geometrically, but okay. So, it, was there... Am I missing I, something here? I mean,
0: Peyton Manning has a... An I- identifiable head shape, I would okay. say. You okay. could show me. You could show me from the eyebrow, like from above the eyebrow up, and I would know it's Peyton Manning. <laughs> that's all I'm saying.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. I am like that's fair. I did. I didn't remember what Peyton Manning looks like, but like I see it. I see it. I just feel mm-hmm. like you could be like I. You know obviously i know the difference between them like you don't need to
0: between these what? two very prominent people yeah yes
1: yeah. um yeah i think just saying like i didn't even realize there was a picture is probably adequate but but then it was funny that they couldn't <laughs> that they had such a hard time with the sports category after april was like i swear i know sports
0: right i really yeah. do yeah the april got the 200 just talking about like how to throw a punch Mm-hmm. Pam got the four hundred dollar level, which was for a three point shot, which was uh, introduced to the NBA in 1979. And then the six hundred, eight hundred and thousand dollar clue were all triple stumpers. Yeah.
1: to be fair about baseball and hockey. So if April is defending her Honor as like a football person, a football fan. yeah. yeah. That's you know fair enough. um The six hundred dollar Stephen A. Smith and Molly Kareem talk sports and more on this ESPN show. um I saw April's like face palmed, like like literally like fa- like face palm and like heavy sigh, right? Like yeah. she knows this show and couldn't remember its title.
0: Yeah, a recipe for it was fun, really, oh, just because yeah. they showed a bunch of delicious food. Mm-hmm. But the six hundred dollar level, it was a triple stumper. To make this traditional one word Mexican breakfast, combine fried tortillas with salsa and top with queso fresco. That's chilaquiles. Mm. Mm-hmm. If you've never had chilaquiles, um, give it a shot.
1: Mm. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in F in Geography. It's pick number two. Pam finds it. She's at a thousand. Everybody else is at zero, and she wagers a thousand. It's so nice and clean. And she gets the clue this city in Alaska has hosted the Midnight Sun Festival for more than 40 years, and she gets it correct. It's Fairbanks. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Rotimi is at 3,400, April's at 4,600, Pam is at 4,400, and the double Jeopardy categories are fictional characters, occupations, in my Art Deco era, US Nobel Peace Prize winners, four letter fish, women of country music, and waterlogged words. I got thrown off in waterlogged words by the $2,000 level. This word for totally submerged has a huge body of water in the middle of it. Nobody tried that. That is engulfed. But then golf in the middle of engulfed sort of stuck in my head and messed me up as I tried to figure out these other ones, which don't have bodies of water
0: <laughs> contained okay. within the word. Yeah, you thought you that thought meant that. I meant thought that there like...
1: had to be a word play for the next couple that came up.
0: In fact, uh, it did not.
1: And yeah, no, they were just words that connect in some way with water. Uh, Condense. Dank. Dank. (laughs) Dank.
0: Oh, unfortunate miss for uh, Pam at the $800 level of four letter fish. Koi are an ornamental type of this common fish. And she goes, what's gold?
1: Yeah. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) I almost thought they were going to have to give it to her. Because.
0: But like, yeah, but there is, but they're not, they're, (laughs) they're carp. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then she kind of like, you could see that she was like, oh, duh. Yeah. After, after she missed it. But Uh I thought that that was funny.
1: Yep. They just keep putting this in just to torment me individually. I wasn't going to say it. $2,000 level of in my art deco era. The top of Los Angeles city hall was inspired by the look of this ancient wonder of Halicarnassus. That is a mausoleum rotimi knew about the mausoleum of halicarnassus mm-hmm. my fifth grader keeps randomly assigning me the mausoleum of halicarnassus as my mm-hmm. as my my <laughs> wonder, my as my yeah. seven wonders board my individual board so that's that's great that that place will haunt me forever sorry it's okay i'm glad you got to go to the tournament of champions
0: i i am also glad so thanks um, yeah, you <laughs> It is it is important to remember that the that particular mausoleum is a capital M, yeah, because that's the because name of, of it. Yeah, yeah, the guy. Yeah, whereas mm-hmm. other the general term mausoleum can be lowercase. Yes. All right. Daily double number two is in U.S. Nobel Peace Prize winners at the sixteen hundred dollar level. Pick number eight. Rotini finds it. He's at fifty four hundred. April is at 7,400, Pam is at 5,600, and he bets it all. Gets the clue. Soldier of Peace is the subtitle of a biography of this general who helped Europe recover following World War II. And they showed a picture. For me, that did not help at all. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what this guy looked like. But he knew that it was Marshall of the Marshall Plan.
1: Hmm. I, w- I will never forget the Marshall Plan because at my at my commencement, for some reason – so there's a, like a class day speaker – and then, like, there's a president's address during the morning, like, commencement a- exercises. And then, like, somebody getting an honorary degree gives, like, a longer address in the afternoon. And, like, usually that's somebody who's, like, you know, a big deal who's being honored and they're a draw. And so, somehow, I think maybe all three, certainly two out of the three, ended up deciding that they were talking about the Marshall Plan, I assume, without consulting <laughs> each other. <laughs> <laughs> and so, <laughs> like, and, like, I – my US history education was inconsistent and kept starting from the beginning and getting as far as we got. And so the Marshall Plan, I had just missed out on that whole thing. And then like, all of a sudden, it was my graduation weekend and everybody was giving speeches about the Marshall Plan. So I will never ever forget the Marshall Plan. Daily double number three is at the $2,000 level of four letter fish. It's pick number 22. Pam finds it. She is at 11,200 with Rotimi at 8400 in April at 9800. She's wagering from the lead and she wagers 6000. I I think I would have gone smaller here. I know I don't say that a lot. Um, but it's a
0: $2000 clue.
1: Yeah, it's a $2000 clue. There's not a lot left on the board and to if she yeah. gets it right, she'll be she still won't be locked. Mm-hmm. She's going to have to get almost all of what's left on the board. So to me, I think at this point protecting your lead if you miss I value that more highly than like extending your lead but not quite getting into a lock position. Yeah. So her her clue here is the musk lunge or musky, a large member of this four letter family can eat frogs and waterfowl. She tries what is bass, but it is a pike, so she drops down.
0: Yep. So at the end of the double jeopardy round It's very close. Rotimi's at 9,600, April is at 10,200, and Pam is at 8,000. Final Jeopardy category is The Ancient World, and the clue is This text helped the soul or Ka, navigate a journey into a region called Amenti. Pam got it correct with What is the Book of the Dead, and she wagered everything, going up to 16,000. Rotimi also got What is the Book of the Dead, and then thanked Alex, made a... Second place cover bet of six thousand four hundred and one, so it goes up to sixteen thousand and one. Mm-hmm. And April wrote, "What is the Bhagavad Gita?" And mm-hmm. that of know, is incorrect. Wagered nine thousand one, but drops down. So that means Rotimi gets a spot in the finals.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And savvy wagering from Rotimi. He had to make a choice whether he was going to wager to get it right and be above Pam if she also got it right or keep it really small yeah and hope for a triple stumper right or you know also if he got it right but both of the others missed it right so savvy and brave choice there and it pays off for him yeah yeah so wednesday january 10th our contestants are Denise Carlton an attorney from Seaside Heights New Jersey Michael Vallely, a program analyst from Cleveland, Ohio, and Roy Kamara, a grocery specialist from Crawfordville, Florida. And the Jeopardy! round categories are Tex and the City, National Animals, three-syllable words, You Get Nothing, You Lose, U.S. Money, and One Man Band. You Get Nothing, You Lose is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate
0: Factory. Indeed.
1: My kids want to see the new Wonka movie. And... I haven't looked at reviews, but I just don't think Timothy Chalamet gets it. <laughs> okay. Every time I see the previews, I'm like, he is saying all the words that are in the script, but like, I do not think he has-
0: Embodied the Wonka. It, yeah,
1: I don't think that he has captured this character. I think it mm-hmm. is not a fit for him. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Do you do you have do you have an opinion on this?
0: I don't have a real strong feeling about Willy Wonka other than oh. the in the humor of well there's not really humor in like you know enslaving a race of people but also true. like just you know a lot of deaths for a tour. It's true. A yeah. lot of deaths. No, you have
1: to like I think Willy Wonka <laughs> has to be like I don't I don't think he's a hero. I think he's got to be kind of unhinged.
0: Yeah, he he's not a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> he, he is is he a villain? I don't know. He's just really more of an agent of chaos he's than chaotic. anything. Yeah, he's
1: he's chaotic neutral.
0: Mm-hmm. I would say yeah.
1: Are you gonna go chaotic evil? I, I don't think no, he's uh, No, not
0: not evil. No, chaotic neutral. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. He's like the impact of his chaos is less concerning to him. Yeah. Than the fact that he is doing something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs>
1: There's something that feels a little unfair about asking about this biblical person at the $200 level. If you get nothing, you lose. In the Bible, this person looked back and she became a pillar of salt. That is Lot's wife. She doesn't have a name. You have to just say Lot's wife. Roy knew it. You know, good job. But like, I keep thinking people are going to get stuck on that because you would think –
0: Think she has a name. That she would have a name. (laughs) Right. Yeah. We've had this – Conversation We've before. Had this on conversation podcast, before. Yeah. And I even I even had the thought if I were on the show and I had to, you know, say that, I might say something like, Who is Lot's wife, who I'm sure had a name of her own?
1: Yeah. I mean <laughs> like, <laughs> presumably if she was a real historical person, which, you know, who knows. Again, she did. Now. But Yeah. We'll just um, never
0: know, right? Yep.
1: That was not worth preserving as part of the
0: story. Yes. Irrelevant to the plot points. Mm-hmm.
1: I had a complete brain fart. Thankfully, Denise didn't at the $600 level of one man band in 1989. He let love rule as basically a one man band on that debut album, and he's been sitting on top of the world ever since they had a picture. I was like, I know exactly who that is American woman. Then he like crossed over into film and he was in the Hunger Games. Could not pull his name. It's Lenny Kravitz.
0: It is Lenny Kravitz. Yeah daily double number one is in tex and the city at the 800 hundred dollar level roy uncovers it he's at 3600 michael's at 800 and denise's at 3400 and he bets it all well, as we say pretty much every time always a good choice in the jeopardy round he gets the clue this city of over 1 million is named for a man born in 1195 So you got to think like it's not, it's not named for an American, right? Like Mm -hmm. Austin or Houston or something like that. Yeah. He guesses what is Corpus Christi? Pretty sure that born in year zero. Yeah. But you know, it's a, it's a guess, right? But they're looking for San Antonio. Uh, So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Roy's at 3,000. Michael is at 4,000. Denise is at 4,400. And we get the double Jeopardy categories, word histories, books and authors, international affairs, World of First Names, celebrities' favorite movies and TV shows, and one man, comma, banned as though not allowed. Mm hmm. Rough coin flip at the $400 level there. A Jacobite was a supporter of this exiled Stuart King who had to lay low after the Glorious Revolution. Michael guessed who's James I. That's incorrect. Mm-hmm. Or we got it with who's James II. Right.
1: Denise crushed it in celebrities' favorite movies and TV shows. Um, Mm -hmm. Michael got the $400 level, which presumably they were all trying to buzz in on. Ellie Kemper video clue. She said, Growing up, I wanted to be a nun, due in part to my love of this 1965 movie about a young woman at an Austrian convent. Of course, that's Sound of Music. So Michael got that one. But then Denise was the one who identified Jordan Peele, who apparently was a fan of Candyman. She knew which television show has Olivia Benson, after whom Taylor Swift named her cat. I Mm -hmm. didn't know that about Taylor Swift. I'm not at that level of Swifty. Of course, that's Law & Order Special Victims Unit. She knew the television show A Different World, which I guess is a favorite of Issa Rae. And she identified Taylor Sheridan, who cited Unforgiven as a favorite so all four of the higher value clues for Denise there. I figured out the triple stumper at the $2,000 level of word histories. But first I fell for the neg bait. The synonym for jeans comes from the name of a blue cloth that originated in India. And mm. I saw a synonym for jeans, blue cloth. and was like, ah, oh, obviously denim. And then I remembered that that's a city in... France, france i think right or it's like it's like the denim is from like de Nîmes, i think it is like from the city from of the, neem yeah. and i yeah. yes or something like that so and then i was like okay well if not denim what is it and then i thought oh dungarees sounds like it could come from india india yeah. uh yeah. so i figured it out roy tried what is denim and then nobody got the rebound on that one
0: the $2,000 level of international affairs was a triple stumper. In 2023, China gathered friendly world leaders for the 10th anniversary of BRI, this initiative of projects in the developing world. <clears throat> That's a Belt and Road initiative. They, China, especially, invested very heavily in, I mean, 10th anniversary, last 10 years, more like last, I don't know, 20, 30 years, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, mm-hmm. in a lot of developing countries countries there. So like I've mentioned before, my brother was stationed in Namibia, stationed, was was serving in Namibia in the Peace Corps. He wasn't mm-hmm. <laughs> like a, in the military. And Namibia in particular, a, a lot of their infrastructure came from Chinese support, so much so that Namibia is technically a communist country.
1: Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, anyway. Yeah, I got a little thrown off on that because I was remembering the <laughs> acronym BRIC. BRIC Brazil Russia India China and thought the BR and saw China and then BRI and was like okay so like what is, is that does that have something to do with it but like Brazil Russia India doesn't make sense and like anyway I didn't know about this but I got thrown off because I I thought that I had like the beginnings of the route to an answer and it was it was just yeah. it was just a red herring Yeah Daily double number 2 is in One Man Band at the $1600 level pick number 13 Roy finds this one. He's at 8200 with Michael at 3600 and Denise at 12,800 and he bets everything. Very brave. Yeah. He gets the clue the 1521 Edict of Worms banned his writings and declared him a heretic and he knows that it is Martin Luther.
0: Yep. And daily double number 3 is the next pick. Back to so back. Roy gets Roy gets it there. Uh, it's the $1,200 level of international affairs. Uh, he's asked if he's going to bet it all again. He does not. Uh, he wagers 6200 of his now $16,400 and gets a clue. The five founding members of this organization in 1960 included Saudi Arabia, Iran, and Venezuela. And he gets it correct with what is OPEC.
1: And so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Roy has just sprung up to 24,200 and kept a big lead. It's not a lot game, though, because Denise is at 13,600. Michael's at 3,200. And the final Jeopardy category is space, where the clue is, since it has caused spacecraft to malfunction, a region called the South Atlantic Anomaly is known as this area of space. Michael didn't think of anything. He just wrote, "What is high Cleveland?" A Zero dollar wager, so he'll hold steady at thirty two hundred. Denise wrote, "What the Bermuda Triangle?" and <laughs> wagered ten thousand four hundred one. So she goes up to twenty four thousand and one. Not totally sure what
0: what that wa- that bet is.
1: Yeah, let's see.
0: I'm not sure either. I Yeah, might have been a...
1: Yeah, just like an arithmetic wager, yeah. an arithmetic error, maybe. All right, but she's at 24,001. And then Roy got it correct as well with what is Bermuda Triangle. And he's wagered 3,001. So, he goes up to 27,201 if he'd missed you know he would have dropped below denise so you know denise's wager would have worked so but he, with 27201 he is a finalist
0: mm-hmm. and that brings us to Thursday when we have the contestants John Giskowski a planning consultant from Pomfret Connecticut Allison Streckel a nonprofit development director from Missoula Montana and Long Wynn, a retired engineer from Las Vegas Nevada Jeopardy round categories are the Bible book saith, on the movie bill notorious parts of the whole it's up to you with the letter u will appear twice and old york old york
1: they did pretty well i think with the books of the the bible book saith got all of them on the first guess i also <laughs> got them all right which you would think Hope would so. be easy but it's sometimes it's a case of knowing too much you know mm-hmm. So, the $1,000 level, ye shall not print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. So, no tattoos. I didn't remember which specific Bible book. And I was like, well, you know, it's probably Leviticus, but it could be Deuteronomy. <laughs> like It's Leviticus. Yeah. yeah. Similarly with the Daily Double when we get there. Mm-hmm. Tough miss for long at the $600 level of parts of the whole. Safety glass, blue line, face-off circle. And mm-hmm. he said, what is hockey? But of course, like hockey isn't the whole, so he needed to come up with what to do with hockey. I think the significant pause after hockey let everybody else know that he was on the right track. Sure. So then he said hockey uniform and was ruled incorrect, and then Allison got the correct response with a she said a hockey arena or ice rink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Daily double number one is in that Bible book category we were talking about a minute ago. Pick number 16 at the $800 level. John finds this one. He's at $7,200, out to a big lead with Long at $1,200 and Allison at $1,400. He wagers $4,000 and he gets the clue for thou hadst cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas. And he got it correct. It is Jonah. And I, you know, I I got to Jonah eventually, but I had one of those, like, I know too much about the Bible moments. And I was like, that's the kind of writing that you find in Psalms. That's, you know, (laughs) that's that's ancient Hebrew poetry. There's lots of that in the Psalms. All of the Psalms are that. But no, like, (laughs) cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas is like the story of Jonah. And in fact, you know, I'm pretty sure that this is from like a song of like, you know, praise and thanksgiving that Jonah sings after surviving the belly of the whale or something like that. Like there are some poetic sections of Jonah, but yeah, Jonah, duh. Come on, Emily. (laughs) So at the end of the Jeopardy round, John is in a big lead with 14,200. Allison's at 2,600, Long is at 2,200. And the double Jeopardy categories are the Constitutional Convention, former names of capital cities, novels, episodes of the sitcom. Clocks and seven-letter words, and this—I mean—the shape of this round was exciting to me.
0: It—it it was. It was very exciting because we
1: started out with with John in a huge lead, mm-hmm. and we'll get to the daily doubles. But the daily doubles were the turning point. For, yeah, yeah, for one contestant, and then the other contestant just climbed and climbed and climbed until they finished the round. All in contention. So I thought this was yeah. a this was a great round to
0: watch. It was it was very exciting and, mm-hmm. and fun. Long did extremely well with the former names of capital cities. He actually ran it. Remembered which Stan has the capital Dushanbe. That's Tajikistan. Mm-hmm. Leopoldville is the old name of Kinshasa. Yeah, just very impressive knowledge of all of the all of the geography.
1: Yeah, we've got. One of your favorite shows at the four hundred dollar level of episodes of the sitcom Pawnee Rangers and Swing Vote—that's Parks and Rec.
0: Yes, love the Pawnee Rangers episode. It's mm-hmm. very, very good.
1: Yeah, I I'm rewatching The Office right now, but maybe I'll swing right into Parks and Rec after
0: that. It's it's worthwhile.
1: Yeah, I've started it before, but I you know I don't know I wasn't I wasn't in a sitcom space or whatever.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah, and and the first season. Is I would say easily the the worst season. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like you need it to establish all of like everything and all the characters and all the all that stuff. But like the comedy really really hits its stride in the second season, mm-hmm. which I also feel about with the Office. I don't think the I don't think the first season of the Office was actually like it was. I think by far the most uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, it was really <laughs> uncomfortable. They were trying to find their vibe i don't Mm -hmm. i haven't watched a lot of the british version of the office but i've (sighs) i've heard that like it it really leans into that like uncomfortable i hate everyone everyone is horrible kind of kind of thing and like mm -hmm. americans just don't really like that
0: we can't we can't do that we (laughs) We need something redeeming we need we need something to hold on to Mm -hmm. and and it Um, doesn't have that
1: Yeah, I have heard a critique of The Office, which I'm curious to see how it pans out for me as I rewatch. I've heard a critique that as we get into the later seasons, Jim and Pam become our like our likable characters and everybody else is, you know, kind of the butt of all the jokes in a way that makes Jim and Pam ultimately kind of feel like bullies to some people. You can Um, see that. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious how I'll feel about that as I, you know, as I as I rewatch. I I did the sixteen hundred dollar level of seven letter words. A Lil Wayne line that caused some linguistic controversy <laughs> said, "Real G's move in silence like this pasta dish," and I forgot that it was seven letters and was trying to come up with it. And it turns out, like there's a there are a fair number of pasta dishes with silent G's. Mm. Um, uh, so lasagna was what they were looking for, but Although I was is like, it,
0: is it a silent G if it changes the sound of the N? Right? Yeah. Like- I don't, I don't know that it's silent so much as we just don't pronounce it like Americans.
1: Right. Well, I don't think that we need to, I mean, Lil Wayne's song lyrics are, were of arguable accuracy here, but like, (laughs) but like, you know, like, you know what he meant and I knew what he meant and I started running through the pasta dishes.
0: Sure. Okay, fine. We don't need
1: to resolve whether he was correct about whether the G is silent. Like, those are just the, you know, do you know the lyric? I didn't know I the lyric. And I started disagree. being like, gnocchi, tagliatelle, bologna, <laughs> bolognese. So, so but yeah, no, I think I think you're right. Arguably, it's not a silent G per se.
0: Anyway, Daily Double number two is in the Constitutional Convention at the $2,000 level. Pick number nine. Allison finds it. Uh, she is at 5800 Long is at 5400 John is way up at 15000 She bets it all. She gets the clue. This state's plan, where all states would have equal representation regardless of size, was proposed by William Patterson. And she gets correct with what is New Jersey. Mm-hmm.
1: So um, she doubles up. Yes. And then back-to-back back Daily Doubles. She finds Daily Ooh. Double 3 on the very next pick. It's at the $1,200 level of episodes of the sitcom. So we're at pick number 10 now. And she's at 11600 with the... The other contestants right where we left them, Long at 5,400, John at 15,000. So now she is within range of John. And she doesn't double up again, but she goes big. She goes 5,000, so she's going to take the lead if she's correct. And she gets the clue, the two Mrs. Sheffields, and where's Fran? And she knows that is the nanny. The nanny. She moves into the lead, but Long just keeps climbing. He gets some of those high-value clues. And so we've got Mm -hmm. a really exciting
0: round. Yeah. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, long is at 15,000, John's at 18,200 and Allison is at 19,000. The final jeopardy category is brand names and the clue is originally called fruit scones. The name of this food brand introduced in 1964 was influenced by an art movement of that time. I kind of I don't know. I got to it Kind of right away because I was just like, "What are some art movements of that time?" And it sounds really similar. I um,
1: I missed it. Like I even thought of the right art movement and was like, "I don't have it." Moving on. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, I just missed. I missed it. I just. I just blew it.
0: Man, long got it correct with what? It, what are pop tarts? Which sounds a lot like pop art. Which so when I was like thinking about styles, I was like pop art. Oh, pop tart. Huh, yeah, maybe it's that. That seems to fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's correct. And he wagered 4,001, so he goes up to 19,001. John wrote, what are corn pops? Obviously going for the corn art movement. Uh, mm-hmm. And wagered 12,000, so he drops to 6,200. And Allison wrote, what is Fig Newton? Which I think is, I don't know, maybe the neg bait there. Yeah, I, don't know I think she ma- must
1: have followed fruit scones.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Right, Been like, uh, I don't she- see the art connection, but fruit scone, like, let me find a food that Food that might be have might have been originally called fruit scones.
0: Right. And she wagered eighteen nine ninety nine to stay up above John, potentially doubling up. Mm-hmm. And she drops to one dollar. So long gets the finalist spot. Yeah. Exciting game.
1: And that brings us to Friday. It is our first day of a two day total point affair. And the contestants are Rotimi Kokoi, uh sophomore health policy and management major at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill from Hoover, Alabama, Long Nguyen, a retired engineer from Las Vegas, Nevada, and Roy Kamara, a grocery specialist from Crawfordville, Florida. And the Jeopardy round categories are an A in science, double talk geography, a fashionable category, television, anagrams, and UFOs. And they, they kind of struggled in this round, looking at the, the, the game dynamics on J Archive. Like they just all, like they, they, there's a lot of flatness. There's a <laughs> there's, lot of flatness. There's yeah, a lot there's of flatness. No,
0: there's not a lot of, a lot of contour. <laughs> yeah. To their graph. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. A number, a number of incorrect responses and triple stumpers. Mm-hmm. Kind of from okay. everyone. Yeah.
1: I had no idea at the $400 level of Double Talk Geography. This community in southeastern Pennsylvania gave its name to a convenience store chain very big in Pennsylvania and nearby. I did not know that that was where Wawa
0: got its name. I didn't either. But I was like, convenience store chain in Pennsylvania? Well, that's got to be Wawa. Got to be Wawa. Yeah. Everyone loves Wawa.
1: I don't know whether I've been to a Wawa. I'm aware of its cult following. Yeah. In some ways that like makes it a little bit more intimidating. Like I'm not sure when I go to a Wawa what I'm supposed to get.
0: Right. There's <laughs> an etiquette about it when it has such a mystique. It's like, uh-huh. am I doing this right? Yeah. Am I Wawaing properly?
1: I have never walked into any other convenience store and been like, what am I supposed to get here?
0: Right. And so, like yeah.
1: somehow like if a Wawa is next to just like, you know, I don't know, some random gas station. Like I'm like that. I'm gonna go to the one where like where I'm not wondering if I'm doing it right. I'm just gonna <laughs> fill up my tank, walk in and get my Dr. Pepper, be on my way.
0: Yeah. A Circle K, everyone understands the game. Yes, you're there for business. You take care of it. You get done. I, Wawa just has this thing, you know. If anybody
1: knows what to do at a Wawa, could you just <laughs> advise? I <laughs> mean, my my in laws,
0: <laughs> my in laws live near near Philadelphia on the like in New Jersey on the other side, mm-hmm. and so they have Wawas. And my brother in law was in high school when they moved there. He's like 12 years younger than us, so like. He's a Gen Zer, and when I have I have asked him about this, I'm like, "What's so special about Wawa?" And he gives me some vague answer about, you know, it's just better. And I'm like, "Cool, okay." I've gone there with him, and we've gotten stuff that's good, but it just it just does feel like I am an outsider. Yeah, I was also unaware that uh, Blink One Eighty Two came up in congressional hearings about UFOs. The six hundred dollar level. It's no small thing that Tom DeLonge of this pop punk band was mentioned during a congressional hearing about UFOs. Do you know why? I I don't. I mean, they have a song called Aliens Exist. It surprised me.
1: Yeah. He founded To The Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences in 2014 as an entertainment company and then expanded it in 2017 to further explore fringe science and investigate the existing and existence of alien life forms with a consortium hmm. of scientists, aerospace engineers and creatives that will work collectively to allow gifted researchers the researchers the freedom to explore exotic science and technologies with the infrastructure and resources to rapidly transition innovative ideas into world-changing products and services. <laughs> <laughs> That's some that is some corporate jargon, but apparently I guess he is he is committed to this aliens exist thing
0: and other fringe science, so. And
1: other fringe science.
0: We'll see when we when we get our blink 182 approved psychic headbands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the gentleman on stage didn't know a Windsor or not. At the thousand-dollar level of the fashionable category, an English Duke is honored in the name of this style of knotting a tie. The thicker knot shows off the pattern of the tie. Maybe they thought Windsor was too easy for a thousand-dollar clue. Maybe I'll give them that benefit. Although Long did ring in and say, "What is Oxford?" So Windsor knot, which is that there are only two knots that I know when it comes to Windsor half Windsor. Well, okay, Windsor half Windsor and four in hand, four in hand, yeah, but. I, I don't know. Windsor. I would I would put Windsor and half Windsor in kind of the same category because they are both Windsor. Mm-hmm. But that's fair. I guess I know three. Anyway, daily double number one is in an A in science. It's at a thousand dollar level. It's pick number three. Roy went hunting for it and he found it. He is the only one with money. He's at 1400. Long and Rotimi are both at zero. He bets it all. Gets the clue. This tiny unit of measurement is named for a Swedish physicist and he gets it correct with what is an angstrom. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Roy is in the lead at 5,400. Rotimi is at 3,400. And Long, with like the last clue of the round, claws himself back out of the hole and is at zero. He had a rough start to the game. And the double Jeopardy categories are Historic American Women, Book Titles, Flags, Podcasts, A mm. season Film, and We Have Oxy Give Us The Moron. Which is, they just... You get the second half of an oxymoron.
1: hmm
0: I was, I don't know why, usually on podcast categories, I'm like, cool, we'll talk about podcasts. But this one, when it came up, I was like, I'm sure we're talking about us. Yeah. Our, I just had a feeling that we were going to show up and it didn't. It was a shame. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Missed opportunity, Jeopardy! Writers. Definitely. Heck, you know what? You don't even have to contact us beforehand. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say that. There might be something weird, but hmm. if you don't feel like it, fe- you know, feel free. Feel free to mention us.
1: Yeah, we and our dozens of listeners.
0: Dozens would appreciate it. <laughs> yes, we had two historic American women that we've already talked about in deep dives: the two thousand dollar level. This actor philanthropist and Titanic survivor went by Maggie. Her famous nickname was a posthumous invention. That's Molly Brown. Longer. Did we? I- I talked about Molly Brown. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I remember you talking about Molly Brown.
0: And then the $1,600, she gave her famous Ain't I a Woman speech at an 1851 Women's Rights Convention, though she probably never used that phrase, and that's Sojourner Truth. Talked Have about talk- Sojourner Truth and Ain't I a Woman? Mm hmm. Don't think we talked about Dolly Madison or.
1: Haven't Francis done Perkins Carrie Nation yet. yet. Yeah. Mm hmm. Carrie Nation comes up at a daily double. We'll get to her. The sixteen hundred dollar level of flags. It was the very first pick. You can get a Yale pennant that includes this three word Latin motto, "Light and Truth," in English. Mm-hmm. And Rotimi tried. What is Luke's? Did he say Luke's e veritas?
0: Yeah, he said Luxe veritas.
1: Luxe veritas, but it is Lux et veritas. Roy really got the rebound there. Yeah. Just got the
0: the Latin and mixed up. (laughs) Mixed up with a different romantic and. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I didn't know a lot of the podcasts that they mentioned here, but I do know a couple of them were triple stumpers that I do know in like the $1,600 level. One of the two real life BFFs who break down episodes of their sitcom. On Office Ladies, Angela Kinsey and Jenna Fisher are the co-hosts mm-hmm. of Office Ladies. And then the $2,000 level, the part of an exercise program where you keep the status quo or a podcast that aims to debunk wellness and weight loss myths. That is maintenance phase. That's a that's a good one. I like that one. I haven't listened to a lot of episodes, but I, I put it on from time to time. I remember listening to the, the one about where did the idea that 10,000 steps a day like the correct number of like for your goal came from and it's like it is such a weird like story of like you know like somewhere in japan somebody was like the population weighs too much and how could we get everyone to lose the right amount of weight and they like you know came up with like how many calories people's people need to cut and that like kate like got that to like some number of steps and like rounded it to 10,000. And now that's just what we all go with. (laughs) And it's like, there's so little research behind it. The human body is very complex. Yes. And you can't just like take a population and be like, if everyone walked 10,000 steps a day, they would all lose X number of pounds. (laughs) Daily double number two is in Historic American Women. It's at the $800 level, pick number 13. Roy finds it. He's got 10,600. With Long at 7,200 and Rotimi at 3,400, Roy bets it all. And he gets the clue she was the star of a 1903 vaudeville play titled Hatchetation. And he can't come up with the correct response. He tries who is Borden. Good for him.
0: Which, you know, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Think of like a woman associated with an axe.
1: Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. So Carrie Nation was the correct response here. So he drops to zero.
0: Yeah, and uh, daily double number three is at pick number twenty-two. It's the eight hundred dollar level of book titles. Long finds this one. He's at ninety-two hundred. Roy, of course, fell back and hasn't been able to really get back in. He's at eight hundred. Rotimi's at thirty-four hundred. Long bets it all, which I really mm-hmm. like. Like he's yeah he's got a good lead, but it's a two-day total point affair. And if mm-hmm. he gets it wrong, he's not that far off the lead still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's a really good move. Gets the clue. You'll find this Steinbeck title in Genesis four sixteen. God, Jeopardy writers mm-hmm. love this one. He takes a while to answer, but he gets there with what is east of Eden.
1: East of East of Eden, of course, you remember well, from Rob. Mine. Yeah, That's from
0: one of my, yes. my final Jeopardies.
1: Yes. And so at the end of the double jeopardy round, Long is in a compelling lead with 18,400. Rotimi's at 4,600. Roy has recovered up to 1,600. And our final jeopardy category is rivers with the clue a European capital got its name as a consequence of flooding on this river. Roy tries what is the Sen. He's wagered everything so he drops to 0. That's not correct. Rotimi tries what is the Volga. He also wagered everything and drops to 0 and then Long gets it correct with what is the Amstel River mm-hmm. referencing Amsterdam. I figured nice out poem. that it yeah, I figured out that it was Amsterdam but then I was like Amster doesn't sound right and I'm not 100% sure that I would have gotten to Change the r to an l. Once I saw it, I was like, Oh, of course. Right. Yeah, but nice pull. Uh, and he also has wagered everything, all eighteen thousand four hundred. <whistles> and so he finishes with with thirty six thousand eight hundred. And that is what the other two who've both landed at zero, need to make up in the next game. Yeah, to, you know, like he is he is going into the second day with such an astounding lead.
0: Yeah. I mean, anything could happen. It's, he could drop. There's, to zero. A lot, there's
1: a lot of money on the board, but they're going mm-hmm. to add thirty six thousand eight hundred back into whatever he gets next time. So, right. yeah.
0: Oof, it's a tall hill to climb. Yeah.
1: yeah. Very impressive
0: performance from long. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Yeah. So that's the week. And this is the point in the middle of the show when we remind you that we have a patreon it's patreon.com slash potent potables and if you have a couple bucks a month to help us keep making your favorite podcast one of your favorites i hope we we can't we can't help we can't help keep what, making whatever what else of, it is you're, what, you're what listening of the to ones you listen to? bam has it they're 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 yeah possibly possibly the smallest favorite podcast you have <laughs> uh, could we would, be the we most greatly appreciate it, and we and there's some very niche podcasts out there we're pretty niche though uh, sure. anyway <laughs> patreon.com slash potent potables where we post exclusive content from time to time and are currently on a streak of remembering to post the quiz questions I think I think I remembered last Uh-oh. time did you forget
0: Uh-oh. Maybe you I don't even remember if I did or not I think I did
1: all right. Well, we're going to be on a streak assuming that I remember after we record today. So we post the quiz questions there so that supporters can get a look at those before we finish editing the episode and the and the money that comes in there helps us with the various software and hosting costs and all the stuff that's associated with keeping this podcast running we know there are more important things in the world than our podcast so we've put some of the causes that are dear to our hearts in the show notes all right well kyle what is the deep dive about today
0: i think we're talking about carrie nation we're
1: not talking about carrie nation she would have been a good one she would have been i know
0: are you talking about bri
1: i am not
0: Okay. Are you talking about Charles Ponzi?
1: Nope. That was, oh, I was so, I was so close to talking about Charles Ponzi. And then I was like, you know what? There was one other that when it came up, I was like, haven't we had triple stumpers about that before? And when I found it, I went, I searched on J archive. I did, I did, I did a search. And it turns out that this one has been a triple stumper. More often than not when it's come up, and it comes up about once a year.
0: Okay. Uh, So,
1: we're on the Thursday game. We're in the novels category at the $1,200 level. Kathy, Queen of Cats, is a character in The House on Mango Street by this author. Okay. Yeah. That is Sandra Cisneros. And this has been a triple stumper this week. And in April of 2023, and in September of 2022, I think somebody got it in February of 2022. Somebody got it in June of 2020. It was a triple stumper in April of 2018. Like it's, the contestants are missing this one more often than they get it. And so I was like, you know what? I've noticed that this is coming up and people aren't familiar. So
0: let's.
1: Let's let's learn this one thing. Do us all a favor,
0: <laughs> Emily, and yep. help us out with yes. House on Mango Street.
1: Yeah. So we're going to talk about Sandra Cisneros and about the House on Mango Street a little bit. The House on Mango Street is it's a it's a slim little book. It's like a hundred pages, and I read it once, but it's been a while, so I don't remember it well. But I'm going to talk a little bit about I'll talk a little bit about about Sandra Cisneros. I'll talk a little bit about the House on Mango Street, and none of us are ever missing this question again. Okay. All right. So Sandra Cisneros was born on December 20th, 1954. She is an American writer, best known for her first novel, whether we can, whether we should call it a novel is a kind of an open question, The House on Mango Street. And the other title she's especially known for is her short story collection, Woman Hollering Creek and Other Stories. That one was published in 1991. The House on Mango Street was 1983. She was born in Chicago, Illinois, to a family of Mexican heritage. She was the third of seven children, the only daughter. The other six were boys. Her great-grandfather had played the piano for the Mexican president and was from a wealthy background, but he gambled away his family's fortune. Her paternal fa- grandfather, Enrique, was a veteran of the Mexican Revolution, and he used what money he had saved to give her father, Alfredo Cisneros de Moral, the opportunity to go to college. However, after failing classes due to what Cisnero called his lack of interest in studying, Alfredo ran away to the United States to escape his father's anger. While roaming the southern United States with his brother, Alfredo visited Chicago, where he met Elviro Cordero Anguiano. And after getting married, the pair settled in one of Chicago's poor neighborhoods. Taking work as an upholsterer upholsterer to support his family, uh, he began a compulsive circular migration. This is a quote, I'm not sure where it's from, between Chicago and Mexico City that became the dominating pattern of Cisneros' childhood. Their family was constantly moving between the two countries, which necessitated their finding new places to live, as well as new schools for the children over and over again. The instability led to Cisneros's six brothers pairing off into twos and left her feeling like kind of the isolated one of the family. She also recalls her father referring to his family as six sons and one daughter, rather than seven children. Sort of further heightening her feelings of, of, you know, isolation and otherness. Her family eventually made a down payment on their own home in Humboldt Park, which was a predominantly, is, is, I don't know, I'm not sure it's current makeup, a predominantly Puerto Rico, Puerto Rican neighborhood on the west side of Chicago when she was 11. This neighborhood and its characters would later become the inspiration for the house on Mango Street. She attended a small Catholic all-girls high school where a high school teacher helped her to develop her literary talents, writing poems about the Vietnam War. She was also involved in the high school literary magazine. She describes herself, though, as having really embraced creative writing when she was in college. She went to Loyola, Loyola University in Chicago, graduating in 1976 with a Bachelor of Arts. And then she went to the Iowa Writers' Workshop at the University of Iowa, the Iowa Writers Workshop, I think we've talked about this before, very noted as like the probably the premier creative writing graduate program in the in the United States. She received her MFA there in 1978. In her later years of college and throughout her graduate studies in Iowa, she was having an affair with one of her professors, which she described as very damaging and a cause of kind of the underlying themes of sexuality and wickedness in a lot of her work. Uh, Also, while attending the Iowa Writers' Workshop, she discovered how the particular social position she had gave her writing a unique potential. She recalls, It wasn't as if I didn't know who I was. I knew I was a Mexican woman, but I didn't think it had anything to do with why I felt so much imbalance in my life, whereas it had everything to do with it. My race, my gender, and my class. And it didn't make sense until that moment sitting in that seminar. That's when I decided I would write about something my classmates couldn't write about." In addition to being an author and a poet, she has held various academic and teaching positions. After she finished her MFA degree, she taught former high school dropouts at the Latino Youth High School in Chicago. And then the 1984 publication of The House on Mango Street secured her a succession of writer-in-residence posts at universities in the United States. She's taught at UC Berkeley, the University of Michigan. She was a writer-in-residence at Our Lady of the Lake University in San Antonio, Texas, and has also, I think you know, sort of prior to gaining success as a writer, did some work as a college recruiter and arts administrator. Hmm. Her writing often incorporates Spanish and English. She uses Spanish where she feels that it better conveys the meaning or improves the rhythm of the passage, but she tries to construct sentences so that they are intelligible to non-Spanish speakers, you know, inferring the meaning of the words from their context. She experiments as well with form and narrative technique, incorporating poetry and prose together, combining impressionistic vignettes and longer, sort of more event-driven stories. Some stories lack a narrator to mediate between the characters and the reader and are instead composed of textual fragments or conversations overheard by the reader. Little Miracles Kept Promises is composed of fictional notes asking for the blessings of patron saints. The Marlborough Man is a transcription of a gossiping telephone conversation between two female characters, that kind of thing. She's doing a lot of kind of playing with form. Looking at themes in her work a little bit, place is a, kind of a... Overarching thematic thing, place not just her novels' geographic locations, but also the positions her characters hold within their social context. Um, critics also highlight femininity and female sexuality as another major theme in her work. Uh, some critics have highlighted uh, the triad of figures that writer and theorist Gloria Anzaldúa has referred to as "our mothers," three kind of figures from. From like Mexican culture and heritage, the Virgin de Guada- Guadalupe, La Malinche, and you know my professors always said La Llorona, but it's probably like a like a Y, like a Spanish Y, right? Like a it double is, L. Yeah. yeah, La Llorona. So if those aren't familiar figures, the Virgin de Guadalupe is a Catholic icon of the manifestation of the Virgin Mary in the Americas, revered in Mexico as a kind of nurturing, inspiring mother and maiden. La Malinche the, was the uh, indigenous mistress and intermediary of Conquistador Cortez and has come to represent female sexuality with aspects of both sort of temptress, traitor, and passive victim. And La Llorona derives from a centuries-old Mexican, southwestern folktale, a proud young girl who marries above her station and is so enraged when her husband takes a mistress. Of, her, of his own class that she drowns their children in the river, dies grief stricken by the edge of the river after she is unable to retrieve her children. And it's claimed that she can be heard wailing for them in the sound of the wind and the water. So that sort of triad of figures emerges in, in Cisneros's work. She received fellowships from the National Endowment for the Arts in 1981 and 1988 The House on Mango Street won numerous awards, including the American Book Award from the Before Columbus Foundation. She was also awarded a MacArthur Genius Grant in 1995. She currently resides in San Miguel de Allende, a city in central Mexico, but for years she lived and wrote in San Antonio, Texas. She's unmarried. She has no children. She identifies as queer and practices Buddhism. She was asked in an interview about being single and childless. And she said, I've never seen a marriage that is as happy as my living alone. My writing is my child, and I don't want anything to come between us. Very nice. Yeah. So that's a little bit about Sandra Cisneros. But let's get uh, into the house on Mango Street a little bit more specifically. It's structured as a series of vignettes. It covers the formative years of Esperanza Cordera, a young Chicana girl, Mexican American girl, living in an impoverished Chicago neighborhood with her parents and three siblings. I think that Sandra Cisneros uses the term Chicana. And that's a like that's a term that I I uh, learned in like a like a um, like fiction, like immigrant American immigrant fiction class and then used casually and found out that different communities feel differently about that term. Um,
0: hmm.
1: Yep. Uh, so I, I uh, used it in front of um, a Mexican-American woman from Texas who had always experienced that term as a slur. So oh. I yes. Uh, so it seems to be. A term that Sandra Cisneros is comfortable with, but like for me, there's always kind of an asterisk on it. Anyway, Esperanza Cordero lives in an impoverished Chicago neighborhood with her parents and three siblings. Before settling into their new home, a small and rundown building with crumbling red bricks, the family moved frequently, always dreaming of having a house of their own. When they finally arrive at the house on Mango Street, it is not the promised land of their dreams. But Esperanza's parents claim that Mango Street is only a temporary stop before they reach the promised house. Esperanza begins the novel with detailed descriptions of the behaviors and characteristics of her family members and her unusual neighbors, providing a picture of the neighborhood and examples of the many people surrounding her. She describes time spent with her younger sister and two older girls she befent- befriends in the neighborhood, Alicia, Alicia, a promising young college student with a dead mother, and Marin, who spends her days babysitting her younger cousins. As the vignettes progress, Esperanza matures and develops her own perspective of the world around her. She befriends Sally, an attractive girl who wears heavy makeup and provocative clothing and who is physically abused and forbidden from leaving her home by her strongly religious father. The friendship that Sally and Esperanza share is compromised when Sally ditches Esperanza for a boy at a carnival, and Esperanza is subsequently sexually assaulted by a group of men. Esperanza also recounts other instances of assault she has faced her traumatic experiences and observations of the women in her neighborhood many of whom are controlled by the men in their lives further cement her desire to leave mango street she meets the aunts of rachel and lucy two of the i think two of the characters who live on Mango Street who tell her fortune and comes to realize her experiences on Mango Street have shaped her identity and will remain with her even if she leaves and the novel ends with her vowing that after she leaves she will return to help the people she's left behind so it's a short little book it is geared toward you know kind of teens composed of 44 interconnected vignettes of varying lengths varying from ranging from one to two paragraphs to a few pages, mostly in the first-person present tense. The book won critical acclaim and came to be required reading in many school curricula across the United States. In 2009, Cisneros wrote a new introduction to the novel, including a few remarks on her process of writing the book. She had first come up with the title The House on Mango Street, And then included and then, you know, started working on several short stories, poems and vignettes, included several short stories, poems and vignettes she had already written or was in the process of writing. And she she writes that she doesn't consider the book a novel, but a jar of buttons, a group of mismatched stories written over a period of years spanning different eras of her life. Despite Mm. its high praise, the House on Mango Street has also received criticism for its sensitive subject matter and has been banned from several school curricula. Uh, the American Library Association has listed the book as a frequently challenged book with diverse content. Um, it was one of the 80 plus books that were part of the Tucson Unified School District's uh, K-12 through Mexican American Studies curriculum before that program was dismantled under Arizona House Bill 2281, which forbids classes to advocate the overthrow of the United States, promote racial resentment, or emphasize students' ethnicity rather than their individuality, which seems like a stretch to me. Yeah. yeah. So when that program was ended, all the books that were associated with it, including The House on Mango Street, were removed from the school's curriculum. And in response, teachers, authors, and activists formed a caravan in the spring of 2012 called the... Libro Traficante project, which originated at the Alamo and ended in Tucson. Its participants organized workshops and distributed books that had been removed from the curriculum. And Cisneros herself traveled with the caravan, reading The House on Mango Street and running workshops about Chicano literature. She brought numerous copies of the book and distributed them and discussed thematic implications of her novel, as well as talking about its autobiographical elements. The House on Mango Street has sold well over 6 million copies. It's been translated into over 20 languages and was reissued in 2008 for its 25th anniversary in a special anniversary edition. In 2020, it was reported that The House on Mango Street would be adapted into a television series by Galmont. Film company, which maybe is best known for the series Narcos. So, hmm. apparently, I don't know. I don't know if it's still in development or if it's died somewhere along the way. But we yeah. may not. We may be hearing more about the house on Mango Street in in years to come. Yes. Yeah. So that's a little bit about Sandra Cisneros and the house on Mango Street. And I think in the future, if anybody gets those questions right on Jeopardy, I'm just going to take full credit.
0: I mean, up to this point, it seems like with that one exception. You know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: seems yeah. that could be the only explanation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So everybody has to get it right going forward. And then I will, I will, I'll, I'll be affirmed. <laughs> yeah. So Kyle, are you ready mm-hmm. for a quiz?
0: I am always ready for a quiz.
1: Yeah. This might be a hard one, but I guess turnabout's turn fair, fair play. All yep. right. Yeah. So no particular theme here. Some of it's inspired by different things that came up as I was researching Sandra Cisneros and some of it's like house, mango, like free word association. Anyway, question one. The House on Mango Street is a frequently challenged book according to the American Library Association. What book was named the most challenged book of 2022 by that organization? A graphic memoir by Maya Kobabe. The title is an adjective relating to non-binary identity.
0: I don't know this off the top of my head.
1: The title appears as two words, although I generally, when I see the adjective, I generally see it written as one word.
0: Hmm. An adjective... Referring to non-binary. Um, I'm trying to blank on this. Let's see. Forming. Uh, I don't know where yeah, I think I'm just gonna have to pass on this one. I'm not All coming right. up with anything.
1: So the the book is gender queer.
0: Gender queer.
1: Okay. Yeah. So it's a it's a graphic memoir of Maya babes coming of age. I hope I'm pronouncing air name right. The author uses what are known as Spivak pronouns. E M Air, which yeah, go back to like 19 the 1970s, apparently. Hmm. Yeah. Kind of a Kind of a lesser known set of alternative pronouns. As far as I've been able to tell, Gender Queer was not an assigned book in any school curriculum. The challenges have all focused on wanting it pulled from school libraries. Um, Shocking. Yep. All right. So, question two The House on Mango Street is the Sandro Cisneros novel. What other title, which shares a couple of the same words, is a board game published by Avalon Hill, in which players begin as allies exploring a haunted house until eventually one of them stumbles across a dark omen, typically causing one player to turn against
0: the others? Well, we've talked about this one on the podcast. Yeah. Betrayal at House on the Hill.
1: It is Betrayal at House on the Hill. I love Betrayal at House on the Hill.
0: Such a good game. It's
1: a great game. I love
0: being the traitor. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a a good game. So anybody who's not familiar should check it out. And it's it's so replayable because- Yeah,
0: there's so many different endings.
1: Yeah. All right. You are at 10 points. Question three. The house on Mango Street is a coming of age story. What is the term from literary criticism for such a story? This four syllable word of German origin- (laughs) Is a compound of the German words for education and novel. I have a little bit of a clue for you if you need it.
0: I, I, I might be mispronouncing it, but I think I know the word. It's like Bildungsroman.
1: Yeah, Bildungsroman is, is correct. Yeah, so it's Roman, like Romana Clay, if you've ever encountered that literary term, German for novel and I guess Donks's education. <laughs> yes. It was coined in 1819 by Johann Carl Simon Morgenstern and popularized by Wilhelm Dilthi. Early examples of Bildungsroman include Tom Jones, which has a longer title, and Tristram Shandy, which has a longer title. I can't remember mm-hmm. the longer titles. Jane Eyre, Great Expectations, that kind of thing. And then there's lots of more modern examples. Uh, so yeah, Bildungsroman, just a fancy name for a coming-of-age story. All right, you're at 20 points. Question four. While there are hundreds of cultivars of mango, two make up the vast majority of mangoes sold in the United States. Both cultivars are named after growers. The most popular by far has a two word name named after the property owner of the Florida farm on which it was first grown. No relation, as far as I know, to the fad diet of the 1990s, which mangoes are not really on. The other cultivar is of Mexican origin. While much more difficult to transport, it is appreciated for its non-fibrous flesh and sometimes known as the honey mango. Name either one.
0: Oh, cheese. Named for growers. Yeah. So I'm going to guess it's not South Beach diet mango so fad diet of the 90s what immediately popped into my head and i'm just gonna go with because there's no way i'm gonna work my way around to the actual name like i have no idea i don't think i've ever actually looked at a mango label in the store so I have no idea where I'm going to yeah. see it.
1: I guess I should correct myself. It was apparently devised in 1970s and was most popular in the early 2000s. Although I swear I knew people who were on it in the late 90s. Maybe not. I'm maybe sure, early I'm 2000s. I'm sure there were. Yeah.
0: I'm sure there were. I mean, I'm just going to say Atkins.
1: Yeah. The, the Atkins is correct. It's the Tommy yes. Atkins mango. Is the Tommy Atkins owned the the farm in Florida where those were- grown in the u.s and the other one is the atolfo mango um, yeah, no way yeah which is one of the 18 mexican designations of origin they are, there are a handful of food and drink you know names that mexico controls the use of the way that french has like the french like aoc appellation origin control uh-huh. a foods and atolfo mango is one of those oh interesting yeah. also also tequila and mezcal have to be Uh from particular places to be Mm -hmm. called tequila and mezcal. All right. You're at 30 points. Question five. Cisneros incorporates poetry and poetic language into her novels. And the house is on Mango Street, so I'm going to throw you a poetry slash fruit question.
0: You would. Uh,
1: Yeah, so we've talked often about how we should all be familiar with the love poem of J. Alfred Prufrock. What often quoted line captures Prufrock's fear of making decisions and taking action? It is followed by the lines, I shall wear white flannel trousers and walk upon the beach. I have heard the mermaids singing each to each.
0: Oh, if you just ask for the fruit. I know it's a peach.
1: Mm -hmm. If you get the gist of it, I will. I will. I will go with it i won't require like
0: no because my my brain is just stuck on like the women in the room yeah and uh,
1: michelangelo
0: yes and that's not i assume the same line something 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 peach is that close enough
1: i want more I, i might give you a couple points for just peach yeah. The quote is 7 words long and everything is monosyllabic. All the words are are single syllables.
0: You you have given plenty of clues. I'm I'm not going to I don't think I'm going to remember specifically the line. So, I'll just go with I want to eat that there peach, okay. That's seven. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I,
1: I told you I'd give you a couple points for for peach by itself, so I'm gonna give you two points. And the okay. and the, the correct response is, do I dare to eat a peach?
0: Do I dare to eat a peach? Yes. Do I dare it.
1: to eat a peach? Yeah. Which, you know, you can you can just incorporate into conversation regularly. Uh, Sound
0: just super super so so smart. smart.
1: All right. So you're 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 finishing with 32 points there, and our final category, we're going to say TV actresses.
0: Ooh, i went go with 18.
1: Okay, all right, for a nice round 50 points, if you are correct, Cisneros was a recipient of the 2015 National Medal of Arts. The most recent round of National Medal of Arts recipients included what actress of Indian descent? In August 2002, she portrayed Ben Affleck in a play she had co-written with her college best friend titled Matt and Ben. She was the voice of disgust in Inside Out and rose to fame when in 2004 she became a writer for and then actress in a show we've discussed numerous times before, including in this episode, before moving on to her eponymous project in 2012.
0: 2012? Yeah. Yeah. God, that was so long ago. I know. I, I believe that's Mindy Kaling.
1: It is Mindy Kaling. Good job. <gasps> yeah, the Mindy Project
0: was 2012. That's
1: what her Wikipedia article said. Yeah, began, began airing on Fox in September 2012, and I'm still meaning to get around to it.
0: Minus over a decade. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. Oops.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's Mindy Kaling. Her memoirs are great. Also, I think one of them was called "Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me." Everybody is every, I can't remember the exact title, but, but yeah, her memoirs are very enjoyable. Yeah. Well, Hey, 50 points, not yeah. bad.
0: Acceptable.
1: Yeah. And I, okay. I hit you with, I hit you with so many literature questions.
0: Yeah. And a poetry, <laughs> yeah. Poetry even
1: a poetry question, which, you know, Didn't we you get got, that you know, out
0: of our system years ago.
1: Years. I've been, i Somehow I got it in my head that I want my my car bumper covered in in like niche poetry jokes. Good. <laughs> it started with buying a Mary Oliver reference bumper sticker that says "Honk if you're letting the soft animal of your body love what it loves," <laughs> which is funny because the poem is called "Wild Geese." So like, mm. honk, honk is it's is the joke there. But then I was like, okay, well. It, this one is lonely it needs a friend it needs a william carlos williams bumper sticker oh, yeah. and then i was like yeah. okay but we're going to need to get some proof rock on here so i've been i've been searching like all of the all of the like you know redbubble and etsy and whatever trying to trying to find the very best proof rock bumper sticker that <laughs> that the nerds have to offer
0: well, hey, um, I wish you good luck.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Well, anyway, that's neither here nor there. This was fun, as always. Mm-hmm. So thank you for making a podcast with me.
0: Thank you for making one with me.
1: Yeah. And thank you, listeners, for listening to us talk about Jeopardy and our weird niche interests. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or a review if you have a minute to do that. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash potentpotables. And... Right now, there are dozens of us, but hey, there could be hundreds if you would tell your friends who like Jeopardy about our podcast.
0: You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent One. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com.
1: And we'll be back next week with more Jeopardy and more niche content. So until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.